Good morning. Thank you so much for coming to church today. Um, and just so you know, pregnant Sherry can preach. She just can't breathe very well um, all of the time. So if I have to take an extended break today, just take that as your hallelujah moment, you know, a time of reflection. Um, and eventually my lung capacity will catch up with how much I like to talk. Um, so as Pastor Larry said, we're continuing our study in the book of James. And the great thing about James is that it's so applicable to our lives. It tells us exactly what to do. We just have to go do it. It's just like if we said we need to eat good every day. We need to know that we need to eat kale and leafy greens and all those things. But I don't always do that. Or we know we should be exercising every day, but we don't. But these things in the book of James, we need to just do. Um, and a lot of times we just have a problem doing that. But we want to make sure that we are a church that does what we put into our minds, that does what the word of the Lord says and let it affect our lives, let it affect what we do every day, and let it affect our decision making. And that's what we're going to talk about today is how to make up your mind, how to make godly decisions, because life is full of choices. We make choices and decisions, and then often our decisions make us. We are human, and all of our decisions add up, and some of those decisions are great, some of them not so great. Sometimes we wait too long, we pay too much, we say the wrong thing. But the further in life we get, our decisions and our choices get harder and harder and harder. I think my favorite phrase to say is adulting is hard, and I'm sure it just gets harder as we go along. Being parents is hard, and I'm sure it just gets harder as they get into teenage years. Sometimes our decisions are so hard, they can drown us, they can steal our joy, it can complicate our lives to a point where we cannot function. But the book of James talks about so applicably how to fix that. Where do we go when we're stuck with a choice or a decision? And so we're going to talk about that today. And how he breaks up these verses is so great to me. It's just like a list of what we should do. He tells us our problem. He tells us the prescription of how to fix it. And then he tells us God's promise. So that's how we're going to look at it today. So if you'd open up your Bibles or in your phones, go to James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives it generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways." So James is saying our problem, the reason decisions are hard, the reasons that we have all these choices that can take us to the point of where we just can't decide or we're bogged down is because we are indecisive. Verse 7 states that we are, when we doubt our decision, when we go back and forth, we are like a wave driven by the wind in the sea. Verse 8 says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And then when you research in the Greek, double-minded literally means two-souled. It means you're being pulled in two different directions, that you have divided loyalties, divided priorities, not saying that these two things that you're pulled in between are bad, because it could be both sets of in-laws, or it could be, you know, it could be your boss and your wife, or your boss and your husband, it could be your two kids, 
Not saying that two things are bad to be divided in between, but Jesus says man can only have one master. You'll serve one and hate the other. Often, my husband and I, we were both people pleasers by nature, but we're caught in a decision for way longer than we need to be. And this started out very beginning of a relationship because, you know, you want to please that new sweetheart that you have to the point where I'm a really picky eater, so he would refuse where to pick to take me to eat on our dates. So we came up with several different ways since we've been in our relationship for almost 10 years um, of how to decide things um, and make it easier because we didn't want to be double-minded or too sold. So first we had dinner dice. So when we were dating, we had these dice that had different food groups on them and we would literally roll them to decide where to go out to eat. And then because I am a little picky, I would just veto what I wasn't feeling like until it just sounded good enough to work, right? Um, and so we have dinner dice. If you need to borrow them after church to decide where to go to lunch, just let us know. Um, they do work very well. It could solve some family drama after church. <laughs> Second, we became way more sophisticated since we had Bruce. So when we had Bruce, we were given this book. And on the front of the book cover is the Wheel of Responsibility. Now, if you are looking for a great baby shower gift, this saves marriages. So this spinner says mom and dad, every other one, and you spin it and you decide who either has to make the decision because we took it way out of, you know, just parenting or who has to change the dirty diaper. So this is a great way to make decisions that BJ and I have used. We've gotten even more sophisticated since Bruce turned two. We had a little birthday party this summer and we got a Fisher-Price basketball court or basketball goal. And so now we play basketball after Bruce goes to bed in our living room, a good game of horse or pig, depending on how much time we have, to see who has to make the upcoming decision that we don't want to make. Um, also, our house is really interesting. <laughs> um, <laughs> We, we don't like to make decisions. Also, we have our bet box. So this is my favorite one. So when you're forced into a decision and one of you just has to decide, but the other one doesn't agree, we take out some pins and paper and we each write what we think this decision is going to cause for our household or for a family member or for whatever it looks like. And we stick it in the box and we wait a year. So usually around our anniversary, every June, we pull out all the bets we've made all year and we just crack up to what we think was going to happen versus what God did or the different decisions that we made or things that we bet about our family members. You know, none of mine are in here right now. I don't think so. We're good. Um, so we use the bet box. And then something that I think other people do that we've gotten caught up in doing that I'm, I'm sure... I'm sure everybody does it, is what I call um, the Christian good deciding answer. And that's how we just don't want, know what to do. We don't want to decide. So we just kind of let life push us into a decision by procrastination. And then we go, oh, it was totally the Lord's will that this happened. We do that, right? We are so passive or we don't want to decide that we just give God the glory for however it turns out. And that's how we often make decisions. Decisions, important decisions come up daily, but double-mindedness and being too sold consistently is devastating and confusing, and it causes instability in your home. So first, what being double-minded or too sold does is it causes unstable emotions. If you are really bogged down by a decision, if you can't decide what to do with your house or your kids' schooling or your relationship or your marriage, it causes unstable emotions. You can't sleep. 
You can't eat. You get snappy with each other. It causes unstable emotions, and that leads to unstable relationships. Because if you are in the middle of a big decision and you can't decide if you want in or out of a relationship, that relationship is going to suffer. If you can't decide if you want in or out of a job or where you're going to move or where you're going to live or what kids, school your kids are going to do, or if you are being double-minded by saying one thing to your family but doing another, that causes unstable, unbalanced relationships in your home, in your life, and in your family. And last but not least, being double-minded or two-souled or having divided priorities causes an unstable spiritual life. Verse 7 says, when you, are double, when you are double-minded, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Because being pulled by different priorities, as good as they are, as important as they are, has you serving more than one master, and God is the one master. It blocks your relationship with the Lord because you're putting something as high as he should be in your life. And you're missing out on receiving the wisdom and the joy and the glory and the peace that God has to offer. I've discovered many times that making the decision is much harder than actually having the decision made and just living with it. It is much harder to decide what to do then once you do it, life is just a snap because you're over it. Double-mindedness can lead to a double life. And that is not what Christ wants for us. So our problem that James is showing us is our indecision, our willingness to be confused and have divided loyalties and divided priorities. So what is the prescription to this? He says to solve this, we need to get wisdom. We need to get wisdom from God. And he gives us three ways to do it in the very first verse that we read. So to get wisdom, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously without reproach, and it will be given to him. If any of you lack it, it says, so in order for us to know if we lack wisdom, we have to admit it, right? We have to admit and get off of our high horse to God that we need his help. Because what we like to do as people in this world is we like knowledge, we start gaining knowledge from the time that we are an infant by learning our colors and our numbers, and then we go to school for 12 to 17 to 22, however many years you go to school, in a search of knowledge. We are so obsessed with knowledge that we get a little piece of paper, and we hang it on our wall in our office in this beautiful frame, and it has a big seal on it. But when we, what we need to admit that we need is God's wisdom, and that is very hard for us to do because wisdom is knowledge put into practice. Wisdom is seeing life from God's point of view. Wisdom is making decisions the way that God would make decisions, not just knowing things, but knowing God's heart, knowing God's choice. Proverbs 11.2 said, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Pride, our pride, our knowledge, our believing that we're right or our want to be right blocks wisdom. And this proverb is saying the admission of lack of wisdom, the admission of us not having it, is the beginning of the way to get it. It's saying, I don't have it all together, God. I don't know what to do. I was wrong. And that's the first step in gaining God's wisdom, which is so countercultural for us. So test yourself a little bit right now so I can breathe. Think about 
the last time you admitted you were wrong. Think about the last time you told your parents or your kids or your spouse or your boss, I was wrong. It's hard, right? So I have an older brother. He's four years older. He goes to this church. Um, and a younger sister who lives in Phoenix with her husband who's a pastor over there. Um, so they are both hands-on learners. They need to touch it and feel it and do it and experience it to learn. I had the opportunity to watch both of them a lot. I'm an observational learner, so I can often learn from what other people's mistakes are or what their successes are and not have to deal with them myself. So when it came to discipline and spanking, I will let you guess which child got the most. Um, It was not me. Um, There's three of us, so you can just pick Scott or Leanne. But the time that I was spanked that my parents continually have brought up my entire life um, is the time where I refused to admit that I was wrong to the point that no other punishment would make me admit it besides a spanking. Like, we went through the entire day, and we tried to ground, and they tried to do all of these things, and I was really young. I was probably only five or six, but the only thing that got me to admit that I was wrong, that I did any fault, that there was any sinful nature in me, was they had to spank me, and then it was still a battle to get me to say that I was sorry. I know, right? (laughs) Don't you want me as your child? Um, (laughs) Admitting that we're wrong is so hard for us to do, but that is the first step in going from worldly knowledge to gaining the wisdom that God has for us. We need to admit our need for him, and second, we need to ask for his wisdom. Verse 5 again says, if any of you lacks wisdom, meaning you've admitted that you're not perfect, Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So where do you go when you need wisdom, when you're asking God for wisdom? Do you shoot up a prayer, and then you scroll your Facebook feed and push on a couple of those random stories that you want to read? Or do you listen to a TED Talk, or do you watch Oprah? Do you read the newspaper? Where are you going for your wisdom? Because the Bible says you get wisdom by asking God. Solomon was the king of Israel, and he was granted one wish. God said, what do you want? Anything. What is your one wish? And he says, I want your wisdom. I want to be able to see things like you do and make those kinds of decisions. God was so pleased with Solomon that he not only gave him his wisdom, but he gave him a long life and a prosperous lifestyle, and he gave him money and wealth If God came to you and said, what do you want? Anything. You can have anything. If we really are honest, I doubt that a lot of us would choose wisdom at first. Because if he came, I struggled with this this week. If he came to me this week and said, what do you want? I want cancer to be destroyed. Like, I want my mom back. I want my mom to be healthy. I want disease gone completely. But what I need is God's wisdom. I need to be able to see things from his perspective. I need to be able to trust him with these decisions and these choices. 20 times in the New Testament, it says, ask and it shall be given. And researching in the Greek, the tense is continual. It says to keep on asking, be persistent. It's a continual tense 20 times in the Bible. 
How much are we asking God for his wisdom versus researching as much as we can everything that's on the internet or that we see on TV to help us make our choices? So the first is to admit we need heavenly wisdom. We need God's wisdom. The second is to ask for it. And the third is to anticipate it. Expect an answer in faith. Expect God to answer before he even has. Thank him in advance. Verse 6 says, Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. We need to not doubt or even question if God is going to answer that for us or give us what we need, but expect it. If we want wisdom, we admit that we don't have it, and then you've got to ask the right person in the right way, believing, not doubting, knowing that he's already showed up and given it to you. It's just our need to figure out what it is. So I think of Peter. When I think of just jumping in and believing something, I think of Peter. He's on a boat in the middle of this big body of water, and he sees Jesus walking on water towards the boat. How cool is that? Jesus is literally walking on top of waves and water. And Peter is just amazed by it. And he jumps out of the boat and he gets on the water with him. And focused on Jesus, Peter is able to do the impossible and walk on water just like Jesus. Until he realizes what he's doing. He realizes his circumstance and then he begins to instantly sink. He takes his eyes off the Father and looks at his surrounding and instantly begins to drop into the water. The moment that we take our eyes off of Jesus, the moment that we take our eyes off of having one master and become double-minded or two-souled, the moment that we look at our circumstance and the decisions and start making our pros and cons list of what should we do, is the moment that we begin to sink and get lost. We need to anticipate God answering us, just like jumping out of the boat and being able to walk on water. We need to anticipate the impossible. And the best part of these verses is the promise of God that he will provide it. So we're not just anticipating and waiting and saying, okay, God, like, are you going to catch me? Do I get to walk on water on this one? God will provide. God shows up. It's his promise. It says, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. God wants to give us wisdom. It pleased God so much to give it to Solomon. He was so excited that he also made him wealthy. He also gave him a long life. It pleases God to give to us, and he gives generously, as it says here. His resources are unlimited. He's like the wisdom-giving energizer bunny that never runs out of batteries. That is who our God is. So where do you need your wisdom right now? What is the decision you're making? Is it school? Is it home? Is it marriage? Is it job? Is it kids? Is it tithing? Is it money? Is it refinancing? I want to go back to a point that I talked about earlier when my husband and I were making decisions, not the spinner, even though that was a great one. Um, I want to talk about what we often say out of being passive Christians, the whole, I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to leave it up to the Lord, which is what we should do. And it's okay to say, I'm not saying it's bad when you say that, but I want us to do a little bit of a heart check. When we say that, 
Is it to get out of having to make the decision? When we say that, is it because we're on our knees with God, seeking his wisdom, admitting that we don't have it, asking him for it, and anticipating it? Or is it kind of our cop-out because we don't know what to do and we're too busy to decide and it stresses us out, so we're just going to wait and not actively seek him? Because I don't think passivity or being passive is what God wants. I think it's the exact opposite. He wants us to run to him. He wants his children to come. He wants to pour out his wisdom on us, but we have to do that. We have to make it possible for him. We have to just do what he tells us to do to get the riches he promises to give us. The Bible says in Psalm 119, 105, God's word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So I sing this song a ton when I was a little kid, and I even remember seeing it with the children's choir and children's ministry, and we all had little flashlights, and it was super cute on stage. But when researching this, God's word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In New Testament times, they didn't have cell phones that had flashlights on them. They didn't have batteries. They didn't have mag lights, which what would we do without our flashlights in the middle of the night? They had these little teeny tiny oil lamps that were made in such a way that the water or the oil wouldn't slosh out when they walked. They would strap them to their feet and it would literally light up step by step where they were going to go. So when the author of this psalm says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, it means I am literally depending on your word and your wisdom for every single step I take. Because if I don't have it, there could be a cliff right in front of me and I would never know. Literally depending, admitting, asking, and anticipating for God's wisdom with every single step and God gives it. So there's one major thing I want us to decide today. One major thing I want you to do a heart check. Is there, are you a double-minded, a two-souled person today? Are you struggling with divided loyalties? Are you struggling with being two-souled? Because every day we need to make the decision of who is number one in our lives. And that is the biggest decision you're ever going to make regardless of who you're going to marry and how many kids you're going to have and what you're going to do with your entire life. Your first decision is who is going to be number one, your CEO, your boss. My husband told me to say in between services, who's your daddy? Like, you know, so, you know, you got to add it in for second service. But who is going to be your number one? Because Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. You will end up loving one and hating the other. The biggest decision you're ever going to make is who is number one. And when we decide that that is Jesus Christ, when we decide that that is God, we will receive his wisdom. When we admit we need him, when we ask for his wisdom in any choice we're making and anticipate it, he will show up. And we will be able to make that choice and it will be there and it will provide a life of stability. We will not have unstable emotions about little or big decisions or unstable relationships of little or big decisions or an unstable spiritual life because every day when he is number one, he will guide us and give us his wisdom for the big decisions and the small decisions. Please close in prayer with me. Heavenly Father, we just, 
We thank you for this time today of hearing your words, hearing your promise that you will show up for us, that you will give us what we ask for when we just come to you and admit that we don't know what to do. We just apologize for sometimes us having such a big thirst for knowledge. We apologize for being separated by two souls or having divided priorities or sometimes not always giving you that top spot. And today we just ask that, that you take it. We give it to you that you are our number one, Heavenly Father. And we just pray with whatever decisions we're making today or the ones that are tomorrow or the ones that we don't even know are coming yet. Give us your wisdom. We admit that we don't have it and we know that you will answer when we ask and that you will show up for your children just like you've promised to. We just thank you for this day and this time of worshiping you and hearing who you will be to us. In your name we pray, amen.